0: Well, we're going to start off the service this morning with uh, kind of a crazy question. I want to ask you and think about uh, this, if you would, please. Now, I'm not advocating uh, tattoos here, but let's say for the sake of conversation that uh, you were to walk out of the theater this morning with a tattoo on your forehead of one letter. One letter, the alphabet's listed there in your bulletin. If you need some help, remember what those are. But if you were to tattoo one letter on your forehead, what would it be? As you're kind of pondering your answer to that question, I'll tell you where this question came from. I was sitting in a meeting, and I love going to meetings at Orchard Hill Church because you know that you're going to be surrounded by some of the most uh, smart and most spirit-filled, gifted people around. And so they're always exciting and encouraging. And I was sitting in a leadership board meeting on a Monday night, and one of the elders of our church was sharing how she was going through a tough time. Uh, she had wanted, wanted to do this particular thing and help the church with a ministry, and she had to call and say, I can't make it because my kids are sick. And she told us how one of her kids got sick, and then uh, when they were just about well, the next kid got sick, and when they were just about well, the third kid got sick, and then when they were just about well, her husband got sick, and it was just this barrage of hardship and pain that had come to that uh, to her in that particular time of her life. And as she shared, a weird thing happened. I saw, as plain as day, a giant W on her forehead. And I kind of looked around, like, see if anyone else had uh, letters on their forehead. Nobody else had letters on their forehead. I wanted to poke the guy next to me and say, hey, hey do you see that W on her forehead? And I didn't ask him because he probably put a W on my forehead for weirdo. <clears throat> Uh, but she finished up and the meeting went on and I was bound and determined to find out what this W meant that I saw on her forehead. And so uh, I found her during our break time and I said, uh, crazy question for you, if you were to tattoo a letter on your forehead, what would it be? She kind of chuckled and kind of was taken off guard a little bit and uh, she thought a little bit and then she told me, she said, I would put a T. I said, really, a T. She says, yeah, it would stand for a cross. Because the cross reminds me that no matter what I go through, like Jesus went through something harder, uh, no matter what I go through, Jesus is there with me to encourage me and support me in whatever I do. When my kids are sick, it brings me hope and courage. When hard things at work happen, it brings me hope and courage to face the hard times. I have a sneaking suspicion that uh, as the T marked on her forehead represented for her a key conviction, core value that she had, that the same thing would be true for you, that whatever letter that you would put on your forehead would represent a conviction or a deeply held value that you have. Because when hard times come, and Jesus reminds us that they will come, and we'll look at that in a second, Uh, It's our convictions and our values that carry us through those times. So this gal's kids are sick. She remembers that Jesus paid for her sins and her kids' sins on the cross and that uh, he came to give them life and give it abundantly. And this too will pass. Just as uh, Jesus' time on the cross passed um, to give us life and hope, um, the hardships that we face will pass as well. Our convictions... play an important role in taking us through hard times. It was convictions, uh, truly deep-held beliefs that helped Job through the struggles that he faced, uh, some of you are familiar with the book of Job. It's a story of a, a righteous man who had uh, <clears throat> great possessions, had a great family. And one by one, he started losing those things that he valued the most. First, he lost his uh, cattle, and then he lost his home. And then he uh, he thinks to himself, well, uh, that's not so bad. Uh, at least I can rebuild my house, and I can go buy some more cattle. But then you know, one of his servants comes and tells him that his family is now gone too, And then uh, when everything is stripped away, he's left with his core conviction. And it says in the book of Job chapter 1, I think it's verse 21, he says, The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away, but may the name of the Lord be praised forever. He was uh, holding on to the conviction that God was good and that his name would still be praised and that somehow out of this terrible tragedy, a good would come from it. Now, some of you know that that's not where the story ends. It goes through chapter after chapter of Job struggling with how to get through this tough time. He meets with friends. He meets with counselors. And it's just this internal struggle to believe that, yes, in fact, God is good. And then it comes towards the end of the book. And the second thing that can help us through our tough times is a little bit of perspective. I was running the other day, and I realized that uh, when you're in pain, time just slows down. I had started running. I hadn't been running for several months, and uh, I was feeling actually pretty good, and I thought, man, I must have been running for 30, 40 minutes. I looked at my watch. It had been three minutes. I'd been three blocks away from my house. I was ready to pass out. When we're in pain, time just slows down. And one of the things that can help us through those hardships is a little perspective. And so at the end of the chapter, uh, end of the book of Job, God gives Job a little perspective and doesn't give it to him nicely. kind of throws it in his face. He says, Job, are you really questioning me? Are you questioning my providence and my majesty and my power? Where were you, Job, when I created the heavens and the earth? And where were you when I separated the land from the sea and I created its borders? And where were you when I placed each star in the sky, by number? Where were you, Job? And then Job finally admits after God had given him some perspective that in fact God can do all things and his purpose will not fail help Job get a little perspective. And perspective can help us in hard times. And we know just through the realities of life, things that we have faced, that hard times, they do come. And it's not a matter of when they, if they come, but it's when they come. Uh, Jesus reminds us in John sixteen thirty three that we will have trouble in this life. He says, I have told you th- these things. He's talking to his disciples so that you may have peace. Because hard times are coming. Jesus knows this. He says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world but you have all experienced situations in your home and in your relational world where things seem out of control. Uh, you're arguing with your spouse. You feel like you're going to ring your kids necks because they're fighting on end. How many times have I been coming down Highway 20 and told my kids, if you don't stop it, I'm going to pull over right here. I'm going to leave you out there for Nate Stahl or Ken Yeomans to find you. We've all been in that situation, and we need some perspective there. uh, We've been so stressed out, and we remind ourselves of the fact that, yeah, Jesus has overcome the world, but it doesn't feel like he's overcome my house right now. It feels like something else has overcome my house. And what do you do in those times? I want to take just a few minutes giving you some perspective on, on how our bodies respond to stressful events in our family life. This information comes from Brian Post. He's an author, psychologist, social worker. He's actually worked with some of the most dysfunctional families in our world. He's actually helped them heal the pains that they've had and learn to function together in love and in a, uh, an environment of encouragement and mutual supporting one another, and he's helped countless families. And so um, I went to a seminar of, and heard Brian speak, and he talked about how our brain functions in stressful and and hard times, He says we have three systems at play. He says we have an amygdala, which is our stress response. When something happens, our amygdala kicks up and, and it and it calls us to respond in one way or another. He says our, we have a brain stem that stores information and gives us insight in how, how we might respond to this situation or that situation. And then he says we have a hypothalamus, which is our love response. Now, you guys know uh, the Bible verse. It says... Uh, perfect love casts out fear. And so when you're in a situation that seems overwhelming, you're arguing, uh, <clears throat> your kids are going gangbusters, we need to stimulate that love response. And here's uh, what can happen in any given situation. So you have a stressor or an event that happens, and that triggers up our amygdala. If I was to yell at Tommy G., Tommy, I just triggered his amygdala. Now... Uh, he's going to respond to the stress there. And uh, typical responses when we're under stress is are we either gear up to, to fight, to fight it out, or we gear up and we want to run away, or sometimes we just freeze, we don't know what to do. So when there's a stressful event, say um, uh, one of uh, you or your spouse raises their voice, or your kids raise their voice at you, it triggers your amygdala, and what are you going to do? Came home uh, a while back, some of you have heard this story before, uh, I Open the garage door, and the garage is full of toys. And so I put my car in park, and my boys are playing out there. My amygdala is going crazy. I want to bury them in the dirt that they're playing in. And so um, it it triggers this stress response. And what are you going to do? Are you going to fight, or are you going to flee? What are you going to do? Um, And then what happens after the amygdala is triggered up? Um, sometimes if you're under stress before this happens or if you're tired or fatigued, it actually sends a signal to your brainstem. And in your brainstem is stored all the events that have ever happened to you in your life, whether you remember them or not. And so um, when the amygdala sends a signal to your brainstem, the brainstem says, oh yeah, this type of thing has happened before. And so now you're not only responding to the one event that just happened, but you're actually responding to all of those events combined, and that's when we feel crazy and out of control. I don't know if you've ever had this happen. Something happens, somebody says something to you, and your reaction to it is way out of proportion to the original event. happened to me in a meeting not too long ago. Again, surrounded by great people, somebody just made a comment about something that was happening in our ministry, and I snapped right back at them. Now, I rarely snap at people, but I snapped right back. I cried shenanigans on that comment. And he kind of sat back in his chair. my amygdala was kicked up, his amygdala was kicked up, and I quickly realized that uh, that, that was out of line, and so I apologized had some time to reflect and see what was happening. Well, I was responding out of other events that had nothing to do with what he said. And so when our amygdala teams up with our brainstem and we get, uh, feel like we're out of control, what we need to do is we need to trigger that third area in our brain called the hypothalamus. And the hypothalamus controls the love response. And uh, what the hypothalamus does is it secretes a little hormone called oxytocin, and what oxytocin does is it makes us feel feel good. It's it's almost like a natural drug that our our brain gives us. And so the hypothalamus can be triggered to any number of ways. You can smile at someone, so I smile at Tommy G. Hey, how you doing? he smiles back at me he's kicked up his hypothalamus he's feeling good um can can happen from a nice warm touch a nice handshake uh, a warm embrace triggers a hypothalamus and so when when things are just going gangbusters and you feel out of control you got to be very intentional about triggering our hypothalamus uh, day-to-day life um little stress um <clears throat> our amygdala is not getting triggered up we just respond in clarity and we respond out of love to people and it's just good but in those times when uh, are are very stressful um the amygdala and the hype and the brainstem get working in in tandem and then you feel out of control and then what are you going to do i want to suggest to you and you can think of examples in your own life when these things have happened you need to take a time out take a deep breath And just remember what your core convictions are with those that you're having conflict with. So I pull into the driveway, my amygdala gets. Fired up! I want to bury my boys by God's grace. My well, my brainstem kicks in all this information. How many times have you told them to pick up their toys? How many times have you told them, please don't put leave your toys in my garage stall? Uh, please, again and again. And the brainstem is working with the amygdala to cause Armageddon in my household. But I, by God's grace. I hit the pause button, I remind myself, Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God, and I say a little prayer, and I remind myself of my convictions, that I love my boys, I want the best for them, there's no uh, two, two people other than my wife that I love more than my two boys, and I want what's good for them, and so I start triggering my hypothalamus, I love them. So I get out of the car, I calmly walk over and I greet my boys with a smile. I say, hey boys, how you doing? Oh, you, we're doing good, Dad. You see what we're doing? We're digging in dirt. And then my amygdala goes off again. I say, just ignore that. Uh, the boys will play in dirt and it's okay. And I, I ask them what they're doing. Oh, we're digging this and we're building that. And they're excited and now I'm excited and now I've triggered their hypothalamus. And then I give them a nice warm uh, squeeze on their shoulder and just affirm that, what they're doing is okay and then I say hey boys could you do something for me yeah dad what do you need and I kid you not they ran to the garage and they cleaned up the toys I asked them to clean up now that could have gone very very different if I had stayed in my fear response and my amygdala response, and I had come out yelling at them, what would have that done in them? It would have triggered up their amygdala, and then they would have geared up to fight. They would have maybe mouthed back to me. They maybe just ran away, say, "Dad, we gotta go. Uh, not gonna deal with this," because their brainstem remembers if Dad yells, that's not a uh, necessarily good thing. I don't feel good when Dad yells. So you can operate out of one or two systems, and it's our choice to which system that we operate out of. And sometimes we can flip the love system on just immediately. Other times it takes very intentional action. So I may have told you this story as well. I was in Waterloo one day. And uh, I see a friend, a friend of mine, actually a high school classmate, and know him pretty well. I stood up at his wedding, he stood up at my wedding, and so we're pretty close friends. And he happened to be driving his uh, a crummy work car, and I was driving my crummy car. And so he didn't see me in his rearview mirror, So, um, and he wasn't going. So I just uh, slowly pulled up to him, uh, just enough to let him know that I was right behind him. And so the second I, my bumper hit his bumper, he jumps out of his car. Now the amygdala is, is going gangbusters in him. And now my amygdala is triggered up because he looks like he's going to pummel me to a pulp. And <clears throat> so he comes up and then he gets just to where he can see me in his window. And immediately, immediately he starts laughing. He sees it's me and he has his hypothalamus triggers it. Oh, Mike, he's just having fun. We're just having fun. And so it triggers his love response. And so he didn't even say anything to me. He just ran back to his car laughing. And we can trigger that immediately. Sometimes uh, it's not so easy to trigger. When you're in that emotional state with your spouse or with your kids when you're arguing, it's going to take an intentional disciplined action to trigger your hypothalamus. You need to remember uh, what it is that you love about your spouse, what it is you love about your kids, and you need to tell yourself that again and again and again until the situation calms down and you can find that peace that Jesus talks about. And so if you 're in an argument with your spouse you might might start remembering what it what it was about your spouse that uh, made you first fall in love with them. Uh, I was visiting with a couple uh quite a while back, and uh, they were amped up, and their amygdalas were going gangbusters with their brain stem saying, "You never and you always and this is terrible, and yada, yada yada," and they call me, and I go over and and <clears throat> I just slowly and surely start poking on their hypothalamus like do you remember when, when you first met your spouse? Yeah, I remember. And What was that like? Well, it was, it was, it was good. Uh, he was so good-looking there, and he was giving a presentation, and uh, he was just very intelligent, and uh, I was just very attracted to that. Then I went to the other spouse, and what do you remember about her? And the uh, same kind of thing. And then I was just poking at that hypothalamus, that love response, the conviction that, in fact, you do love your spouse. And when you start poking that, it just feels really, really good. Uh, The hypothalamus is is what helps women in childbirth. You know, I can't even begin to imagine the pain and the... the all the hardship that goes into that, I saw it. uh, My wife go through it several times. But then what happens at childbirth is the hypothalamus actually sends just a massive amount of oxytocin uh, to the mother and to the child. And that's one of the reasons why uh, oftentimes after childbirth, it's one of the most peaceful moments you'll experience on earth because um, after that hard and trying time, the body, through its love response, uh, sends both to the child and to the mother this, this natural hormone that makes people feel comfortable together. This is why if you're married and you've had just a big argument and then you end up in the bedroom, um, <clears throat> after intimate acts, oxytocin is released in massive amounts and you forget all about that big fight that you just had. If you find yourself in a relationship that's uh, struggling, uh, you need to learn... to trigger up the hypothalamus, uh, John Bowlesby, a relationship expert, he and his colleagues did a <clears throat> did a study on what what helps couples when they're struggling, actually uh, fight out, and uh, actually makes their marriage last. And so they they watched thousands and thousands of hours of video of counseling sessions with couples, and what they were looking for is what 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 is it that that helps some couples make it and survive and make their marriage last, and and why is it that some some couples just don't make it? And he they what they found was that the couples that make it, that rebuild their marriage and go and are stay married for the long haul, are the couples that tap into the hypothalamus and their love response. So when something gets heated, um, <clears throat> things get going on. The couples that that have a good marriage are the ones that can quickly tap into their hypothalamus, remind themselves of how much they love their spouse, and get at the, the core of their, their true feelings for one another. Those are the couples that make it. So we have a choice. Are we going to respond out of fear or are we going to respond out of love? I encourage you to make a plan. Now is the time to think about a plan. When hardship comes, what are you going to do? Uh, One of the reasons that we spent so much time uh, last fall thinking about life verse is because a life verse is a conviction that can help you through hard times. Uh, One of the reasons we're in this series is to help you uh, have tools to use to get through those hard times. And so as you think about hard times that will come, again, Jesus says that hard times are going to come. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. How are you going to respond to that? Can you respond to your spouse in a nice, gentle, calming way? Can you reach a hand out and trigger some uh, oxytocin response? Can you embrace them? Uh, Another powerful thing that you can do to trigger the hypothalamus is encouraging uh, heart sincere compliments. Uh, when you receive a compliment, it sends a little bit of oxytocin in your, in your brain. I, I did something crazy on Wednesday night, a little entertainment at a party I was in, and uh, I got an email from somebody who was at the party. said, thanks for sharing that. You are capital C, capital, a, capital R, capital A. You are crazy. And I just felt so good about that. I released a little oxytocin in my... She was complimenting me. And we can compliment one another. The third thing that can help us in times of hardship is people. People, We need to be surrounded with people that love us, that want to trigger our hypothalamus, that we want to trigger that in them. And we do that by, um, as Romans 12.15 uh, says, um, when someone's struggling, uh, enter their struggle with them. Acknowledge their struggle. Say, just realize that, yeah, that is a hard thing. The quickest way to help someone deal with uh, Their tough times is just to acknowledge that what they're doing, what they're going through is hard, and it helps them process that. You don't have to give them a Bible answers like this is all going to go away. No, you just need to acknowledge that. Yeah, it's it's tough what you're going through. And then our our brain, as we tap into that hypothalamus, helps us deal with the hard things. So people are an important part. And then you can always I love this verse First Thessalonians 5:11. If I haven't said it uh, once, I've said it a hundred times, and hopefully you're learning it by now says encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing and when we're doing that we're operating out of our love system and it makes uh, the other people feel good it makes us feel good and we experience that peace and that joy that Jesus talks about I've come that you may have peace he says we're going to actually transition into a time of communion and um, so I'm going to actually ask those that are going to serve communion to go ahead and come up and uh, uh, we're going to do this. I think back to the gal in the meeting uh, who said I would put a T on my forehead for the cross. The communion is a time when we all have an opportunity to remember the cross. Now, we at Orchard Hill Church, um, we're a very open church. We want all people to come and experience our worship services no matter uh, what stage of life you're in, no matter how ugly you may feel like your life looks or your family life looks. We want everyone to come and feel safe here to experience God. When we come to communion, communion is a time... Uh, for you to acknowledge that Jesus Christ died on a cross for you. And this is very serious business. It's so serious, in fact, that, uh, Jesus, that Paul writes that if uh, you, have, you have something against someone else, if you have some uncleanliness in your heart that uh, you need to deal with, maybe you need to deal with that before you take communion. So with that said, if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you haven't accepted His forgiveness for your sins yet, uh, we would ask that you just uh, sit back and take it in. Maybe today is the day where you would make that decision and say, you know what, I have these things in my life that I'm not proud of, that I need to give to Him, that I need forgiveness for. Maybe you can make that decision today. And you can partake with us. If you haven't made that decision, we just respectfully ask that you let the elements go by. And then the rest of us are going to have a a very intimate, deep moment uh, where we remember all that uh, Jesus did for us on the cross. So I'm going to ask that the ushers go ahead and begin to distribute the bread. And then I would ask that you hold on to the bread. And we're going to take it all together. And as they're sending bread your way, I'm going to pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, we come this morning from all, all walks of life. Uh, some of us have a big families, some of us have small families, we all have uh, different things going on, uh, but we all have this in common, that... Uh, Uh, hardships come and we need your grace and your courage to go through those hardships. So I pray that as we uh, take communion together, that uh, uh, it'll give us courage and it'll give us perspective on our lives. And and we'll remember that you have overcome the world. And so with your help and your strength, we can uh, make our families be the best that they possibly can be. And Father, may this just ring true in our hearts and May we bind these truths on our foreheads and may they sink deep in as we take the elements together. And Father, we do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.